be back in church. And we've just had uh, the last weekend uh, celebrating our wedding anniversary, which is lovely. Um, thank you for asking. And <laughs> it's just important. We planned it like we plan a couple of weekends in the year where we won't be in church with you. We'll be just focusing on um, uh, resting together and uh, nurturing our, our own relationship. And so uh, that's important. And it's more important than being here with you, actually. <laughs> so um, it's just uh, again with a full heart that I stand here with you um, part of your family um, your pastor and not that I want you to call me Pastor Darren Maureen okay I'm just Darren and that's part of my role but it's not um, my I don't know, it's just um, part of the family, just like you are. And this morning, um, uh, I'm just grateful again that uh, we have with us Cosimo and Josie. And this is actually the first time when all four of us are in church together This uh, since you've been here. And uh, it's just been a real excitement uh, in planning their return and then in talking about the year ahead and and um, what, what plans we have and what we feel like God... Uh, has for us to do and so um, together uh, we've been doing the ministry and on Friday um, as we visited with um, Denise and Roy and, and her father in hospital it's just a privilege to have people with me like Cosimo and Josie who can um, do what they do because they're, they're quite unique they do their thing, they be them and it's wonderful and so we had morning tea as well with Andrew and Jacqueline from Tasmania and and Cosimo is just quite gifted when it comes to prophetic, I think, and uh, just seeing things in people's lives. And he said to Jacqueline, and I've known Jacqueline for about 15 years now, and he said, oh, I see you like a dancing, worshipping the Lord, like a, uh, playing a musical and singing before him, and, and, uh, and, and you're, you're a wonderful, beautiful worship leader. I thought, well, that's Jacqueline, actually. And so well, she was so encouraged, and they said to me later, thank you for sharing that time with us and we were really encouraged and who knows that people who have been serving God need to be encouraged it's no point um, that if I'm discouraged before you because then we're all miserable <laughs> and so it's important that we're encouraged well this morning I'm going to continue on and, I'll, and I will just keep it fairly tight this morning uh, this year as you know I've been digging into God's law, morality and worldview, and we're on the worldview. Um, run today and so as we open the word let us commit the, the things to God in prayer Father we thank you as we open up this word that this word is, is spirit and truth and life to us we invite your spirit to be our teacher and our guide to open our eyes to see you to open our heart to receive you to open our understanding that we might have the mind of Christ that we might know um, the life that you've called us to. We might know who we are in you. That we might find our souls um, secured upon a rock which we are basing our lives upon, the rock of Christ. And so, Father, we ask that your blessing be upon us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're on the... I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. Sorry, there's been too many things happening and there's not a PowerPoint. But um, we're on this theme of worldview. And see, it's in, isn't it interesting when 
uh, we hear people say, um, how can Christianity say that it is the only true way? How do you have the right to say that Jesus is the only way to God? Which is a claim of Christianity. Well, it's interesting to think that that's actually true of all truth. Truth is exclusive. And to say that Bella's wearing a black shirt is the truth and by declaring that truth, it is excluding all other stories that would say it's any other colour than black. It's exclusively black. <laughs> and so if you say one thing is true, you are excluding everything else from, that, from, from being true. So it cannot be simultaneously true that Bella's wearing black and white, and I mean, it could be if you were, you know, had multiple colours on, but you know what I'm saying. If something is true and there is a claim of truth put upon it, then it excludes all others, uh, other opinions from that one fact. And so, um, as we've been looking at worldview, last week we looked at the seven questions of worldview that were posed by an author by the name of James, um, someone, James, someone, James, someone, I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> James, just James, we'll call him Jim. Jim posed these seven questions about life, about how we would know, uh, how we'd be able to identify uh, our worldview. That's Christian and non-Christian alike. And uh, as, listening, as I've been listening to Ravi Zacharias for the last couple of years, he's helped me in this area. And one of the things that he says is that every worldview has to answer these Four question, these four um, necessary questions. Uh, they're, not, they're not that different. There's quite a bit of overlap. But he says it's the four questions of origin, of meaning, of morality and destiny. And so those four things, origin. Think about where we came from. And that's a worldview question. If you were to ask um, yourself, where, how would you say, where did you come from? I mean, kids will always want to know that, don't they? Where did I come from, Mum? And there's always that question that Mum and Dads have to answer, where you came from. I remember that being a, a book when I was a kid, where did I come from? Quite, quite graphic, quite disturbing. And I came from there? That's gross. Where did I come from? But, you know, before I come from, where did we come from? How did we get here? And we keep on being told, informed by scientists that um, there is millions and billions of planets just like ours out there somewhere. And so perhaps proposing to us that we aren't all that unique. Well, I don't know about what's out there, but I know that my Bible tells me that God is the creator of heaven and earth and that he made man in his image. Now it's interesting as we look at the first um, chapter of Genesis and I'm just going to quickly skim it so it says in the first sentence in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now if you think about that there's a few claims there already in the beginning so where it all came from God was there and God created the heavens and the earth now God is a creative being that's what it's suggesting and how did he create well the world was all em empty and formless and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So God was present 
And God said, God spoke and things were created. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse between the waters. Separate water from land and water from water. And let there be the sky and let there be lights and let there be um, living creatures. And let there be um, you know, trees and, and, and shrubs and livestock and things that will populate this earth. But then he created man in, in God's image. He created man in, in his likeness to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth. And so here we have really a dignity that only Christianity bestows upon us. And that is, you aren't just random. You've been created. Now if you think about this, I mean, I actually created this pulpit. Um, just before the uh, opening of our upstairs auditorium, I, b I bought an old wine barrel and took it apart and stared at it for um, many hours until I came up with something that I thought would, would do the purpose for which I was intending. And so this has been created for a purpose. It's not just a random thing. And so, so it is with you. You have been created, which means you have a purpose. Because who creates something that has no purpose? I mean, it's just purposeless. It's meaningless. It doesn't happen. People create things. Artists create things. Designers create things. Builders create things. Um, people create things with something in mind. And you have, therefore, there is an intelligence behind it all as well. That God had something in mind and created it as a result. So Christianity bestows upon us that dignity that you have been created for a purpose. Now if you think about that, that underpins so much of morality and so much of the way that you might think about yourself. I mean, if you, if, uh, you, know, you paid attention in science and you listened to your evolution um, studies, you'll, you'll, have been, you'll have taken on board that you are a product of random chance. Nothing more than the randomized coming together of various things and process of natural selection and, and you just are. That means that you aren't necessarily a product of purpose, but you're a product of random selection, natural selection. And therefore, what is my value if I'm just random? Not really much. Just random, I've got remarkably... If it's random, it's kind of remarkable. But um, nevertheless, evolution doesn't give humans the dignity of purpose and meaning. And not only does Christianity give us that, but it says, you aren't just something that I've made, but I've made you like me. The supreme being of all the universe, I've made you in my image. Isn't that a wonderful thing that um, Christianity bestows to us and it's interesting that you know God made man now why did God make man that that's a worldview question why did God make man I mean did would, was God needing anything no we know that God is self-contained totally satisfied without uh, without us yet he chose to create us for the purpose of relationship and so you and I have been created with the with the purpose of relationship. 
Uh, I was listening to someone this week talk about the fact that there's an old commentator who said that um, woman wasn't taken from the head of man that she should dominate over him, nor was she taken from his feet that he should trample all over her, but he was taken from her side to be his from from his side to be his partner and peer, and also under the protection of his arm. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That Eve was taken from the side of Adam, not to be dominating or dominated, but to be loved and cared for as a peer and as an equal. And so that's a wonderful thing. So in the creation story, we see so much of the foundation for worldview happening. So these four, four questions, origin, meaning, morality and destiny. Now, um, uh, Psalm 139, uh, some of you will have, have parts of it memorized. But uh, let me just flick to it, Psalm 139. Uh, I remember, remember somebody saying to me, oh, well, yeah, God knows everything, but obviously it's just at a broad brush stroke level. And I said, well, how about we have a look at Psalm 139? And he says this in verse 17, in verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now how precious is that, that that has been written about you? I mean, that is something else. Is anybody out there, does anybody recognize that this is precious? You are precious and you are known by God before the foundation of the earth, it says here. He, he knew you. He ordained for you every day that you would live. How precious are your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And so um, Psalm 139 teaches us about the, about the origin story, that we have been created. Not, we're not just evolved, that we, we are known, that we aren't just random, that we have been purposed, not just meaningless. Well, talking about meaning, um, we, we weren't created for nothing. We were given significance by the fact that we have purpose. You know, uh, hundreds of years ago in 1640s, um, some people, the fathers of our faith, wrote down some, some beliefs that people could um, be able to uh, help them understand Christianity. And the first question on that sheet, on the Westminster Catechism, was what is the chief purpose of man? What is the meaning of man? And, uh, and the answer to that question they proposed was this. To, glor to enjoy God, to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. So if you think about that, I mean, what a, what a, um, it's almost, it, it's, it's almost informal to enjoy God. That's just the purpose. That's the chief purpose of mankind, to enjoy being his. Wow. And then after that, you know, everything else will follow. 
But first of all, enjoy God. Enjoy God and glorify Him forever. You see, um, fullness of joy is found in God's presence. One of the Psalms says this, um, fullness of joy is in, in your presence and, 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 tr- and delight at your right hand forevermore. Treasures at your right hand forevermore. And so fullness of joy is in God's presence. And so it's a natural inclination of the Christian heart to be rejoicing. So no more lemon-sucking Christians who don't know how to cheer the heck up. All right. Now, how do we? How do we? Um, how do we just cheer up? Is is that enough? Just to say cheer up? No. We need to cheer up based on something. And if we are focused on enjoying God, coming into His presence, recognizing that how wonderful. And how many, how numerous are your thoughts towards me, O oh God? I've been, I've been ordained, the days before me have been ordained by God. And when you think about those kinds of things, it turns your frown upside down. And you get a smile about your life because you're rejoicing in the fact that you belong to Jesus. You've been created for a purpose. And he loves you dearly. And he's created you for worship. He's created you for relationship. And that gives our life meaning. So does that mean that the, um, the Christian life is full, free of trouble? Not at all. And nor should that trouble trump our joy in God. Nor should that trouble... I mean, I know Denise and Roy are mourning today. But guess what? That tragedy has no authority to take away their Christian joy. And even in the midst of sorrow, they can be inwardly, joyfully following, overflowing the fact that they have their father gave his life to Christ. He said to me that he even was able to share his testimony with young Mia, who comes here. Uh, she was going to be here today, but obviously things changed. Uh, and, ga- and shared his testimony of how he gave his life to Christ. And so really there is a, an outward sorrow but an inward joy that can't be quenched. And so uh, I was, uh, as, as I was sort of thinking about joy, I was remembering Zephaniah 3.17, it says this, He rejoices over you with singing and he quiets us with his love. And uh, so that picture is, is almost like as we rejoice in him, he rejoices over us. And as you... Um, I'm going to push my microphone back a bit. I'm a bit fluffy. Um, as, we, as we zone in on being his and, being, and enjoying our relationship with him, he just pours over us his divine smile. Amen? And we, and we sense the, the joy of heaven over our lives. <clears throat> 1 Peter 1, uh, eight says this, like I said, I might start a little bit earlier than one eight. It says this one Peter one three celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us ex- His extravagant mercy, for His fountain of mercy has given us a new life. Can you hear? He's re- He's reminding Himself. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled and never diminish. It is promised and preserved 
forever in the heavenly realm for you. Now, it goes on to say then in verse 8, sorry, I won't get to verse 8 just yet. This is in the message, by by the way. But these reveal, the Passion Translation, but these, uh, uh, though our faith, verse 5, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, it says, even though you're lately you've had to put up with the griefs of many trials. But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes, for even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise, glory and honour when Jesus the Anointed One is revealed. You love him passionately, although you did not see him. But through believing in him, you are saturated with an ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime and immersed in glory. For you are reaping the harvest of your faith, the full salvation promised you, your soul's victory. Hallelujah. So he's saying, you know, just remember the fact that we're celebrating that we are um, we've been created. We've been given mercy. There's a fountain of mercy that's given us new life. We've been reborn. We've got a purpose. It can never be taken away from us. And it says, even though at the moment you're experiencing severe trials, you've got lots of things to you know that is coming against you. But don't worry about that. It's only working to refine your faith. And in these things, that's not going to steal your joy. It's going to refine your joy. And in the midst of trial, this, this will bring out, even though you love him, because you don't, it says you love him, even though you don't see him. But by believing in him, you are saturated with an ecstatic joy. That Greek word ecstasis is the ecstasy of believing in God. Now, who would have thought in this Presbyterian church, that we could be ecstatic, that we could be enraptured, enwrapped with the out of body, I'm I'm beside myself with joy here because of the fact that I have the meaning, I have meaning in my life which brings me through tragedy, which brings me through trials and difficulties. It brings me through, like Irma was talking, the... the, um, the, the blades of the enemy which will attempt to cut us down. Amen? So this is the harvest. He says there, you are reaping the harvest of your faith, the full salvation promised you. So it's almost like the goal of your salvation you are experiencing right then in the midst of your trial. It's going to get you through. I think that Christianity is the only worldview that will give you true and lasting hope. We have uh, an interesting um, thing here about morality. See, worldview must answer this question of morality. Um, And I think this is where evolution stops desperately short. If we are random products, why on earth do we feel injustice when it's done to us why on earth do we feel um, that it is not right when we see people being killed for their faith or 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 uh, 
when we see blacks and whites being treated differently or when we see male or female you know, um, being treated differently. Those things point to the fact that we have an inbuilt moral sensitivity and no other worldview can really explain that, that problem. The, the other problem, of course, is that in this world we've been given the ability by God to choose. We've been given that dignity of choice. And if someone is free to choose, then they're free to do well and they're free to make mistakes or stuff up. And therefore we have consequences for good and evil. So we look around this world and we say, why is there so much evil in this world? Well, there's a statement because we've just defined something as evil as opposed to good. And you know, if we would say, well, if God is so good, why did he create evil? Well, it's not just that simple. In order to have good, inbuilt uh, in that is the fact that there is things that are not good and therefore evil. We've even heard that the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden could also be um, described as the tree of good and bad, like this tree of good and not so good. <laughs> it does not necessarily um, uh, evil in terms of um, wicked. It's, it's just it's, there's, all, there's, a, there's the good and there's the not so good. <clears throat> good and bad. So there's the problem of human evil and that problem is manifest when we think even though we as humans, as people, we know what is good and what is right, we fail to do it. That is the problem of human evil. Um, Ravi Zacharias says this, <clears throat> Put simply, moral, the moral law, an absolute point of reference, does not disappear by attempting to silence God or frame reality as we wish. The logic of this position simply makes life totally unlivable. Hedonism is the legitimate offspring of relativism. Meaningless is the offspring of an exhausted array of indulgence. You see, uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton put it this way, he says, Meaninglessness does not come from being wary of pain. Meaningless comes from being wary of pleasure. Isn't that interesting? You think about the biggest struggle that you're going through. Does that cause you to feel meaninglessness? Um, I would su suggest no. Meaninglessness comes from being wary of pleasure. When we've exhausted all the indulgences that we could come across and afford to uh, indulge in, uh, and now there's a vacuum that's left at the heart and there is nothing left to fill that vacuum with. We're exhausted from pleasure. As G.K. Chesterton put it that way. So beyond the search for individual meaning, now I think I may have going back to meaning and morality. Anyway, I said to myself to read Ravi, and I'm reading Ravi, and why isn't it making sense to me? <coughs> One of those days. So we have in. Um, in our Christian worldview, the, the concept of morality which is founded in the law of God's nature and God's character. The fact that we've been given, uh, we've been created with a purpose 
and, and that we have been given one another to deal with, to relate with, causes us to, to question these aspects of morality. How do we define what is good? How do we define what is bad? And, and really, if we have an inbuilt uh, morality detector, then surely that points us to a morality giver, a giver of moral law. And, uh, you know, and if, there is, if we take away the moral law giver, God himself, then we take away moral law. And then there is no such thing as good and evil. Really, that's where the secular worldview comes unstuck in, in the area of morality. Even though people experience that inner morality, they deny its source and are, are, and are left clutching at straws thinking, how do we define what is good and bad in our communities? People would say, well, you don't need absolute truth to, to define law, to, to define, sorry, morality. You don't need um, God to define morality. Well, I beg to differ. You can't just wake up today and say, I think I, I will treat people well. Well, why treat people well? I mean, is it in your best interest to treat people well? Well, Christianity says treat people well because they are made in God's image and they are precious to Him. And as you treat them, so you're treating yourself in a roundabout way. So Christianity has a, a foundation for morality which can be uh, uh, received and understood. And finally, destiny. The fact that we are created for more than this. And worldview that, that says um, this is the end when we die, that's it. Well, ultimately then there is hopelessness in our short and funny lives, isn't there? If it's for nothing more than my 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years, maybe even get a little bit further than that, in the next few decades, I'll figure out how to keep us alive longer. But ultimately, that will leave us hopeless. And so I believe that Christian hope comes from the hope of our resurrection. Ultimately, my situation may never change. I may continue to struggle through this life. But there will be a time when I will be with God. And that is the source of Christian hope. And so when people feel hopeless, they do crazy things, don't they? They just um, lose all hope, throw off all, all uh, restraint. But hope in Christ is that this, there is a day coming when our life will be weighed up. There will be a reckoning of our life and we will receive our reward or we'll receive our punishment. And that, in a sense, is the hope that I have is that as a believer, my sins have been forgiven and I can move, look forward to eternity with God. Amen? And I can just think about, as I was thinking about the judgments, I know that there's a couple of different judgments that are referred to in the scripture and we, we talk about a believer's judgment because if you stand before a, a judge and, and your sins are heard, well, if your sins are forgiven, what is there to hear? <laughs> so when they call up Flynn Hessenberger before the judgment throne and he says, well, I can see that you've had this, this and this. But, but what, and the accuser says, but what about all the stuff he did wrong? 
And he says, I have no such record. You are free to pass into eternal life. Hallelujah. What a source of hope that is. It comforts us and gets us through. And it's okay if we have to suffer with, with, with imperfection in this life. We can do without all the things of this world because we're looking forward to that day when our life will be reckoned and, and we will be joined face to face with our Father in heaven. Amen? Now, I don't know if we're going to be if we're going to just disappear and go to heaven. Um, it says in John 14 that Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. So it sounds like heaven is a place. But also we hear about a new heaven and a new earth that's being created and perhaps for us to live with God there. And so I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I know that I know that I know that my Christian hope is anchored in the resurrection of my being at the last day. Amen? So worldview in four... If answering four questions origin, meaning, morality and destiny let's pray Father I thank you for this um, hope which we hold in our hearts I thank you Lord that you've created us with a purpose and meaning in mind I thank you Lord that you look at us individually and corporately that you love us that you have planned things for us to do in advance I thank you, Lord God, that we can understand that purpose as we, as we enjoy our relationship with you, as we find our fulfillment in life in worshipping you. I pray, Father, for each person here today who has who is made, uh, you know, had sort of wrestling in their heart with some of these sorts of worldview questions. What is the meaning of it all? Is it all meaningless? Where can I put my hope in in this life? Well, Christianity gives us some wonderful answers that will ultimately satisfy you. I thank you, God, that all of this adds up to point to the fact that you, God, are a personal and loving God who wants to have relationship with each and every one of us. You know us inside and out. You know us our weaknesses and our strengths, you know, our faults, and, and yet you love us. I thank you, God, that as a personal God, you invite us to call you our Father, that you put us in family, you adopt us as your own, you invite us in to be with you. And so, Father, I pray that the reassurance of that fact would saturate each one of us here today who is saved and invite everyone here who does not yet know the personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I pray this morning that you would reassure us in our salvation, that you would reinforce our joy, Lord God, that you'd cause us more and more to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. God, that you'd cause us to, to push through our, our burdens, push through our difficulties, push through our tragedies with an inner and overflowing joy. I thank you, Lord, that nothing can steal our joy in you because in you there is fullness of joy and 
treasures at your right hand, blessing forevermore. And so, Father, I ask that blessing to be upon each one of us today, every family here represented. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.